This week's Motos and Friends podcast by Ultimate Motorcycling is brought to you by the all-new third-generation Suzuki Hayabusa. My name is Arthur Coldwells. The new Hayabusa, while staying true to its iconic design, now looks even more dramatic and futuristic. The new Hayabusa, while staying true to its iconic design, now looks even more dramatic and futuristic. Somehow, Suzuki's styling department refined the Hayabusa's looks, and it is even more gorgeous than before. Really. But the beauty of Hayabusa is more than skin deep. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, Hayabusa riders now have the latest in electronic aids, like traction control, cornering ABS, quick shifter, and of course, cruise control. With even stronger acceleration from the Hayabusa's 1340cc inline four-cylinder engine and agile handling delivered by the revised chassis and suspension, the new Hayabusa delivers top-tier sport bike performance. Take a look at the ultimate sport bike at suzukicycles.com or of course you can swoop into your nearest dealer and check it out in person. I promise you will be absolutely amazed. In the first segment, Associate Editor TJ Adams and I discussed the new Honda Goldwing. That was revised last year in the 2021 model. For 2022, the bike is unchanged, other than revised colours are now available. A little oddly, perhaps, from the company who says, ride red, there's actually no red, or even a two-tone red version available for 2022. But don't let that stop you checking out Honda's flagship. TJ and I had a chance to ride the new bike a few months ago, and of course we absolutely loved it. I mean, what's not to love? Actually, here at Ultimate Motorcycling we've written plenty about the new Goldwing, and I'd imagine you're well up to date on the bike's specs from the rider's POV. But the wing is a friendly machine, and it's designed to take passengers in as much, if not more, comfort than the rider. So we thought it might be interesting to focus on Goldwing life from the passenger seat. The second segment is brought to you by the ultimate editor-at-large, Neil Bailey. Your favourite repro-Brit now finds himself at the Exposure International Photography Festival in Sharjah, United Arab Emirates. This annual photography exhibition features the work of the very best photographers in the world. This time, Neil is chatting with Mike Brown. He's the world-class photographer who just happens to do his best work from the seat of his motorcycle. Please check out his YouTube channel by searching for Mike Brown. That's Brown with an E on the end. B-R-O-W-N-E. Mike Brown. Anyway, we all hope you enjoy this episode. Are you ready for this? The all-new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle is here. Widely regarded as the ultimate sport bike, the third-generation Hayabusa by Suzuki melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa yet. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the new Hayabusa gives riders electronic rider aids, like the quick shifter and cruise control systems, that simultaneously increase performance and comfort. With even stronger acceleration, the Hayabusa's 1340cc inline four-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched sport bike performance. 
And, staying true to its iconic design, the new Hayabusa's straighter and sharper lines make it the most aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning color combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki genuine accessories you can choose from. These revolutionary superbikes are flying off the showroom floor, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit SuzukiCycles.com to learn more. The ultimate ride awaits. It looks so impressive, I loved it. Um, and it was a great opportunity. So just to let our listeners know, we both went on the ride together and I was pillion so that we could experience the couple's um, sort of enjoyment of couples riding. And we were, I think four of us went out together, four yeah, under, yeah, uh, yeah. We wings. got to we got to ride with uh, Florian and and Sarah from um, Roadrunner Touring and Travel. So oh. lovely couple. We had a had a really nice ride, but essentially we left from the Honda Museum in Torrance. We rode up through uh, up the four hundred five, um, out through uh, to Ojai where we had lunch, and then we went up the thirty three and out to the Madonna Inn, and then the following day we came back. Um, on the freeway, mm. and we had that was a good mix because we had freeway and we had through the canyons, um, and that that was an eye opener for me as as to how fast you could ride on this touring machine. <laughs> you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was um, well, the Goldwing's, exciting. <laughs> the Goldwing's always been known for great handling, and a lot of that obviously is because it carries the weight down low. So it's an absolute, you know, it, 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 on paper it's this big beast of a bike, but actually once you're rolling, the weight disappears and it's really easy to ride. Yeah, it's very and, and agile and... Uh, it really is. Yeah, Honda have got the balance really good. Yeah, I was surprised at how, um, how much lean angle you got when you were, you know, taking those curves. Yeah, I mean, the bottom part of the 33, straight after you leave Ojai, can get pretty twisty, mm. um, twisty and fast, and it's um, it's quite a challenge. But um, it was it was really good. The most uh, sort of from a from a technical perspective, the most um, a differentiating thing about this particular bike is this model is the DCT model. Now you can call it an automatic. Um, however. In technical terms, DCT stands for dual clutch transmission. Dual clutch transmission, right. That is, so you can leave it in automatic where it changes gears automatically, the same as it does in a car. However, um, you get a little pull lever and a push button on the left handlebar. So you can change gears manually using those. Um, in other words, you, you pull the lever, with your forefinger, sort of a bit like where the headlamp flasher would normally be. Um, that's to go up the gears and you push the button to go down the gears. You can instantly switch. There's no putting into manual or anything like that. You can just simply ride the bike in automatic. And if you decide that you're not in quite the right gear, you just hit a button or pull the lever and, and you're in a different gear. So when you park, how does it stay in gear or do you have to? Yes, yes. The 
the most disconcerting thing for anybody who's really spent a lot of time on a motorcycle is there is no clutch lever. Exactly the same as if you're in a car. There is no clutch. All you've got is an accelerator and brakes. Um, so there's no clutch lever and actually there is no uh, foot lever as well. I mean that's not strictly true because you can buy a foot lever as an option but actually it's only a switch. And so you're clicking away with your foot and all you're doing is simply just changing the switch. But, <laughs> make, yourself, make yourself feel better. <laughs> right, so it's a sort of a mental thing. Um, but, but essentially it's an automatic. Just from a brief technical perspective, the really interesting thing from a motorcycle, a big difference is cars have a, what they call a torque converter or um, AKA a slush box. And essentially you'll know from driving automatic cars, when you hit the throttle, it takes a while for <clears throat> the, as the engine picks up revs, it takes a, a split second for pressure to build in the torque converter that then gets converted through the gearbox into drive at the rear wheels. So there is a slightly elastic, shall we say, um, connection between your foot on the throttle and what happens at the rear wheels. In other words, you could mash the throttle and not a lot happens at the wheels for a split second or a, even a second or two, or two. Right. A dual clutch transmission works differently. I won't go into it here. It's been covered elsewhere, but essentially it's actually two gearboxes. So you get first, third, um, and fifth in one gearbox, and then second, fourth and sixth in the second gearbox and there are two clutches and one of the gears is always selected at one time but when they change because you're going into a second gearbox or back to the first gearbox the the change is almost imperceptible you literally can't feel it changing gear it's so smooth the, but the main thing for a motorcyclist is because there is no slush box or torque converter that I've mentioned, you get an absolutely direct connection to the rear wheel. In other words, if you move the throttle incrementally with your hand, something happens at the rear tire. And that is what a motorcycle rider needs. In the corners, you don't want to reach the apex at maximum lean angle, you hit the throttle and there's this big pause while mm. everything catches up. It's not. You get all the feel of, of riding as if you had a conventional clutch and gearbox. So you get all that feel at the throttle, all the feel at the tires. You move the throttle a little bit and stuff happens. So you get really good, the rider gets really good feedback. It feels like riding a normal motorcycle. That's a really different, a different sort of explanation of your feelings to the way I perceived this motorcycle when I, I sort of looked at it, big touring bike and then we were talking about it being automatic um, and I thought yeah it might have a bit of not sluggishness but I didn't think it would have that sort of feisty personality that, it, that it's got. Well it, 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 it does from a rider's perspective it also has riding modes um, it's ride by wire throttle and so you have these different riding modes obviously you've got your rain mode which is sort of reduced power and, and what have you and all of these modes um, also interact they change uh, things like the ABS, the level of ABS, the level of traction control, all kinds of things. But, but the number one mode, the standard mode is, is T for touring. Somewhat naturally, it's a touring mm. bike. 
Of course, sure. most people want to ride this bike elegantly fast. Um, so it, it, so that, that's kind of the, the default. But you can kick it up a notch into sport if you want. Um, and sport gives you um, you know, less traction control, um, a much more aggressive feel on the throttle, the gear changes are later. So it's, again, it's, you get a similar sort of thing in cars. Um, we rode most of the time in touring mode. When you're two up, you want to kind of make, keep your cat passenger comfortable. And could you change the mode during the ride whilst you're you riding? You can change it on the fly. On the hoof. Literally, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can change it in the middle of a corner. You can click it up and, and the mode will change. Um, so um, I think you have to like close the throttle to, to just confirm it. Um, but yeah, you can change it all the time. So you've got a, an instant comparison, that's great. You do. The only, the, the DCT, the automatic gear changes feel really good. And in touring mode, it typically just goes up the box as quickly as you can. So you can be pootling long in, you know, in town at, you know, 35, 40 miles an hour, and you'll probably be in fifth or sixth gear. So you didn't it, get the urge to sort of take over and, and use your own rhythm, it changed as you actually comfortable. I didn't feel any gear changes I mean it was very smooth I was a pillion on the back obviously um, I didn't feel any jolting or right. staggering the only time I really felt the need to sort of interfere with the automatic gear changing is when you're riding hard through the twisties and I want engine braking when I'm braking hard into a corner when I'm slowing I don't want to say braking hard but when I'm slowing aggressively into a corner. So on the 33 where there's a lot of twisties, you can accelerate up a straight, you know, to pretty high speed, you're in fifth or sixth gear and you then want to slow down for a pretty tight corner. And I don't want to slow down gradually. I want to come into the corner pretty aggressively. Right. I would hit the thumb button, chop down a couple of gears and use the engine braking same as you would on a, on a normal, you know, manual shift. You go down a couple of gears, use the, the engine braking to slow yourself down a little bit um, and go through the corner. So I did tend to use, I tended to shift down manually when I was being a little aggressive <clears throat> because that just helps with the engine braking. That's amazing. I find, I find it incredible. I mean, the technology to be it's, able to do that. <laughs> it is incredible. DCT transmissions have actually been available on cars. I think, I think Lamborghini or somebody first came out with it way back when, but it's been around on cars for several decades. And many other motorcycles have this option? Or uh, the, really... A couple of Hondas do now, but Honda the only, the, is the only company that's, that's uh, made it for motorcycles. And breaking the real, around in that direction. The real technical achievement is making, putting all that technology into a small enough package that it, it actually is practical in a motorcycle. You don't want some giant barking great gearbox, you know. Um, so it's, it's easy enough in a car. Um, and I think Hyundai do it and Honda do it and lots of different companies do it in cars. But Honda is the only one who's done it in a motorcycle. And of course, the, uh, the Goldwing is absolutely tailor-made for it. I mean, it's just perfect. It's like the sort of the luxury cruiser. So, uh, so it's really good. Now I had a, um, a Goldwing, which you'll probably recall way back in the I do. <laughs> Early I 80s, do. I was going to say late 70s. 1976. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but I, I had that I think it was in it was early 80s by the time I, I got my hands on it 82 and I loved it it was a very user-friendly bike and even though that wasn't fed it didn't have a fairing it was impressive to look at and I, I just love the way they've kept the whole feel going you, you look at these bikes and it's wow um, and Honda put on a great um, sort of example trip because we were with other couples we really felt like we were sort of off for a fantastic touring holiday for those on, couple of on days. On a bit of a rally, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. yeah, it was good. And good to be able to look around and see uh, the bike that you're riding on, to see other people riding alongside you and, and get a good look at it in motion. Yeah. So from my point of view, the, the, the old one was very, very comfortable. And this new one, bearing in mind that was pillion, the first thing I noticed was the seat has a sort of almost a suede feeling. Um, and that gave a little bit of extra grip, which is handy for... Um, when somebody's riding very fast and you're trying to keep your <laughs> pants on the seat. Um, so you're not slipping and sliding everywhere. <laughs> no slipping and sliding at all. Excellent. Uh, and that was lovely. Very comfortable to be in the pillion position if you are a motorcyclist or if you're not a motorcyclist. Um, anybody's going to love that. You've got a fantastic backrest and I understand that's a little bit taller than last year's or we're talking about the 2021 model, so the previous model is a little bit higher, so you've got that extra support if you do want to sort of rest the back of your neck. Uh, and it was really nice and spongy and comfortable, but not too soft. So Right. Sort of... The big change from, from the sort of the latest generation Goldwing is, is the passenger seating is a lot more upright. Now, I realise you probably haven't ridden on the back of... The, the previous generation, no. but the the back the pillion was a lot more um, reclined. So, did you did you like sort of sitting relatively upright? I mean, were you able to sort of relax but at the same time feel connected? Personally, I prefer to sit upright, and I don't know if that's because I'm also a rider. But I was very happy actually to lean back on freeways and. Um, when the riding wasn't sort of uh, going through the exciting mode when we were sort of just cruising it was very comfortable yeah I was happy to lean back it was a good angle so the pillion seat is a little bit higher than the rider seat but I didn't get that feeling where I was perched on top that you can sometimes you know get when you're on the back of a motorcycle right it was it was great and I could lean back if, if and when I leant back I could see more around you more of the road ahead right Right. Okay. So that, that was quite beneficial, and it sort of hugs you a little bit around the sides. It's very comfortable on the hips. Okay. Really. And obviously, you have the armrests, um, you know, from the the whole rear seat. And I did use there. those. Yeah. It you was did? just amazing. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't want to say armchair because that makes it sound all a bit old-fashioned and spongy, but not. It definitely is a comfortable seat. Yeah. The armrests um, I did use. Yeah, they make a difference. Excellent. And I felt like I had a bit of ownership on the back, of, you know, my little patch, my little area. And uh, there was a USB charger, um, which I think is new for this model. Um, and right. that was easily accessible for me. So I could plug my phone in because I did quite a bit of uh, videoing and taking photographs on the back there. And again, really easy to do that because you feel so safe and snug. So secure, yeah. Yes, I could get, sure. my, get my phone out and take lots of pictures. Um, that was awesome. And as I say, I could just control the... Uh, I could just re recharge my telephone from from just reaching down. Right, right. Um, your feet are on... Um, you're not on... 
uh, pegs, you're on floorboards. That's right. Mm. And how was the leg position? It was good. It wasn't too angled. So again, um, it, it meant that I didn't start getting cramped up or any aches and pains, even though we had, you know, a full couple of full days in, in the saddle. Uh, I did like the leg position and uh, the floorboard actually just allows you, you can just sort of shift your feet around a bit. It's, it's uh, You're not a just great stuck idea. in the one position, right? Yes, right. that's it. And depending on what type of boots you're wearing, sometimes with your feet on the pegs, you keep moving your feet onto your t sort of the balls of your feet and then back. You're trying to get the peg in the right position because you're not riding. If you're sitting on the pillion, you're sort of shifting your feet around. In fact, I've burnt boots by accidentally resting on exhaust pipes before. <laughs> <laughs> Um, good test of boot quality, <laughs> right? Um, but these platforms, yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. And again, nice, safe feeling. Um, I want to stress that if you're not a rider, this is a great vehicle for you know going with a partner who just um, wants to enjoy being on a motorcycle, but not all the angst that can go with it. You know. Right, right. So, were your legs in more of a sort of sporting position? I mean, how? straight were you able to keep your legs or were they pretty straight they pretty almost, bunched up like no no they weren't bunched up i didn't feel like a grasshopper they were pretty level okay and good. i mean i'm average <laughs> <Doesn't sound exciting. laughs> but if you are long-legged if you've got long thighs you know guys for instance because you've got the platform for your foot again you can move your feet back and forth easily you're not um going to get that knee in the air feeling because you've got long thighs. I think uh, the whole thing's been really well thought out. Good, good. Part of the, a giant part of the um, comfort for a pillion is going to be airflow. And Honda have gone to a lot of effort with airflow. Certainly from a rider's perspective, it's really good. You have a, the, the windshield is electrically adjustable so I can, for height, so I can move it up and down at will. And I'm sure you noticed me doing that. I did. Mm. Um, how is the airflow over your head? I mean, were you finding that, because there's quite a separation between the rider and the passenger. Mm. You might you find some buffeting, but Were no. you getting a lot of buffeting? I didn't, no. It was really good. Um, I, okay. They must have put a lot of thought into it because I couldn't say mm. that I was sheltering behind a screen because obviously it's quite a way ahead for me than being on the back there but it must be making a difference because I didn't get buffeting and I, I didn't feel I was sort of under wind duress and aching at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got up to some quite high speed. We did. And, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, I'm prepared to admit that well, I think we hit about a buck 20 at one point. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, 120, 125. And I got to tell you, it just, this thing feels like you know, a galleon at full sail. Yeah, I mean, completely it just at home, not, really it feels steady. feels absolutely and... rock solid. Mm. feels totally solid. Um, I thought that was your riding. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, it's, it, it's, the bike is really planted. Um, Honda completely redesigned the front suspension. It's got a, a different kind of front suspension on it. It's not the, the traditional telescopic fork that so many people are used to, and of course was on the previous generation. So it has a lot more movement, um, has a, a lot more travel, I suppose. Um, and so interestingly, it gives Honda the, op the option 
to make the suspension fairly firm and and sporting and yet it's also um, has lots of travel and will soak up all the bumps so it's very it's very forgiving uh, suspension on it did you find yourself getting really banged around when we no because there's some big potholes let me tell you I think mm. there was one or two that we hit that oh, did surprise yes. us. Yeah, some of the roads are shocking. But no, I didn't. I didn't. I just felt in luxury there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't feel that at all. I didn't feel any bumps in the road. Yeah, yeah. From a rider's perspective, the front end is um, makes you feel connected to the road. I mean, the 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 bike handles extremely well, as we've said. Um, it doesn't dive on the brakes because it's not a telescopic fork, so the bike actually stays stays pretty level. Um, you just slow down rapidly. Um, it has you know linked brakes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of technology built into this bike just to make it easy to ride and safe to ride. Um, and yeah, I, I have to say I'm a big fan. It's totally mm. not my kind of bike particularly and it's not yours I know we're definitely much more smaller sporting you know kind of motorcycles but Flick we both around. felt really at home on this yes yeah yeah I, I really enjoyed it and I didn't I didn't mention I'll mention now the grab rails as well now I don't know if the previous model had grab rails but the grab grab rails I didn't need because we weren't lurching around so you know during all that sort of fast riding I didn't need but great to have if you sort of caught a cuff fiddling with your phone and <laughs> come right. up to a set of lights or something um, and you haven't been keeping your eye on the road um, and again you know for, for people who might be a bit nervous they're a good thing to have and these are the two handles that are down either side of you down by your hips yes that's right yes um, I think they extended those for for this newest model right um, they when they first launched this generation sort of a couple of years earlier those handles were a little low down. So I think that's part of the spec here is they've they've raised the handles a bit. Mm, so were. you found them pretty easy to reach. And yeah, easy to reach, good shape, not sort of skinny little things. They were, they had a bit of width to them so you could really, really get a hold of them. Good, good. The big criticism of this new generation, um, uh, Goldwing, is they reduce the luggage capacity. Now for the 21 and onwards model, They've redressed that slightly. They've increased the rear, the big rear trunk size. Um, they've increased it by 11 liters, taking it up to a total of 61 liter capacity. And that was so handy because we went to lunch, we put both our helmets in there, didn't we? We could put both of our helmets in quite easily, actually. Yes. Um, we put our jackets in the side boxes um, mm. because if you remember, the weather was pretty variable. It was cold to start off with, then it started to get pretty hot. By the time we reached OI, it was like 85 <laughs> degrees or something. So we're shedding layers and changing jackets and doing all sorts of stuff. So it was real nice having the capacity to be able to switch all that around. Yeah, did you, lots, lots Did of you feel space. that we had to really compromise with the stuff that you took or? No, um, you know, we had, we had stuff for staying overnight and we also had you know, a couple of bottles of water and uh, yeah. A few snacks. I didn't. I just thought there was a lot of space. Maybe I'm used to sort of. Um, we are struggling. used to. <laughs> we're used to a lot less so space. So this was luxury, yeah. and to be able to put two helmets in there because if you're going to an event, you're going to I don't know a festival or, or somewhere where 
you, do, you definitely don't want to wander around um, in your bike here and with your helmets. You can just like take off and reveal your shorts and t-shirt and stuff everything into these panniers and, 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 and lock both. it all up. Yeah, lock it it's up and it keeps your helmets cool as well if you leave them on the bikes. If you don't mind doing that sometimes, everything gets a bit hot <laughs> right. in the sun. Right, right. The other thing, I mean, there's a few other little things they've uh, hooked up, you know, like Android's version of CarPlay and yes. all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, on a brief ride like that, we didn't really get, get an opportunity to hook things up. No, but that's so important for some people. That's right. great. It is, it, it is great. So it's got a whole electronic side of it that obviously an owner would really get to know very well. Mm. Um, it's got onboard navigation. I mean, it's really, <laughs> really ticks ticks just about every box yeah you can i could imagine. see that i could see your screen and everything i could see all the controls from behind and that was fantastic it's got a great big screen you can see what's going on yeah yeah from a uh, technical perspective i can tell you that the fuel capacity is over five and a half gallons it's actually 5.6 gallons um, it does 42 mpg i mean obviously that's highly variable depending on how you ride it <laughs> but as an it's not a super thirsty bike um, and it carries quite a lot of fuel so i can't imagine anyone really criticizing that aspect of it i mean the bike again it, it fills the, the touring side of things um, the dct um, weight of the bike the dct version with an airbag incidentally it's also got an airbag built into the, yeah, the how awesome section. is that yeah um is 847 pounds so it's almost give or take 850 pounds in weight that's, that's before before we put luggage in there and you know <laughs> carrying my big ass on there but anyway <laughs> the dct version is the most expensive one of them all the the basic goldwing tour if you call it basic i mean holy moly it's anything but 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 the the most standard version is 28 and a half grand uh going up to the airbag dct is 32.6 so it's another $4,000 if you want to go to um, to the airbag version or what have you. If you just go to the straight DCT version, it's only, it's $1,000 more than the standard version. Right. So the big question everybody's going to have is, well, is it worth spending the extra money on the DCT? Or, oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, do we need this? My feeling is, is I don't think the DC, DCT is a must-have, but once you've got it, there's no going back. And if you're buying this to tour on, which a high percentage of people will be, then... Yeah, then why not? That's why fantastic. Not? Also, when you get the airbag version, you get a lot of other things as standard. So although it sounds standard, you get things, I think, like fog lights. Yep. Um, yeah. I can't remember. There were a few things that just There's came a few other bits and pieces, but, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, so when you say, say basic, it's not... <laughs> no. Like, you then have to start adding a lot of other things. <laughs> And yeah. yeah. Additionally, there was another little storage unit that the rider had right in front yeah. of you with that press yes. button. Yeah. Yeah, it's what you and I would typically think of as the gas tank, but it's actually not. The gas tank is actually beneath the seat. It's all part of Honda's ability to centralize the mass and carry the weight low. Mm. So what we consider to be the gas tank is actually more like an air box. And there is a lot of carrying capacity in there. 
Um, so yeah, there's a sort of a flip up thing. And actually you can put your phone in there and there's a USB connector and, and for the for the rider. Lovely. Um, a lot of things. And it had, like I said, it had like a push button, whereas you, know, you can be fiddling around with your gloves on trying to open things like that, but that was fantastic. It did. It also, uh, that's where the fuel tank filler is. Um, and that's a little odd. It takes a little bit of, uh, of understanding. <laughs> you have to sort of open a side compartment and then you pull a lever and that opens the, the fuel <laughs> filler flap and then you can get to the fuel filler. So well, nobody's going to steal your gas. Nobody's going to steal your gas <laughs> unless they're another Goldwing owner and they know how the, how the system works. But, uh, but it's, it's pretty cool. So overall, what was, your, what was your impression of the fit and finish of the Goldwing? Oh, I just think the quality, I think the design is, for a big machine like that, it looked really sleek. I loved it. Um, yeah. And fit and finish, I mean, it's it's even got piping on the seat, you know, soft, comfortable piping, not sticking your bum piping, but it's um, got details that, yes. you know, it's a bit of thought with the design that um, they didn't have to do, and it, it makes it a really good looking bike. Um, but my overall impression was, yeah, I'd love to go touring on that. Um, probably yeah. take me a while to get used to the DCT if we're doing that swapping thing. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it has a handbrake, doesn't it? That's it does. Ha it does have a handbrake. Another thing that was yes. playing around with my mind, yes, which I kept <laughs> forgetting to put on or take off. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Oh no, we haven't gone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I sort of a couple of times I pulled away. I'm like, why is it so sluggish? Uh oh. Oh, I've left the brake on. Um, so. <laughs> So, but again, that's just us being, you know, not terribly familiar with the bike. Yes. You know, an owner would figure that out in, you know, after a couple of days, they'd be like, they'd be completely at home with it. Well, we got lots of attention. I mean, there were four of us okay, but lots of waves and like people staring at us, especially when we, we parked them all in a row. I mean, yeah. It was, it was a yeah. very, it's a very impressive machine. It is, it is a flagship product. It is a flagship motorcycle. And it, it looks it. it. It really does. Yeah, and we tried many different sort of scenarios, as I say, with different types of riding. And uh, we turned up the hotel. We stayed at the Madonna Inn. That's in near San, near San, San Luis Obispo, yeah. And uh, that was an incredible place. But we, we just had everything with us. It's, you know, I'm used to sort of on motorcycles, yeah. <laughs> bare as minimum. Right. <laughs> but it's it's luxury, you feel as though you're in a real luxury position. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed, I'm a big fan of the bike, I think you could probably tell. And I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. I did, I loved it. Okay, all right. Thanks. Thank you so much. Are you ready for the revolutionary new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle? Hailed as the ultimate sport bike, the third generation Hayabusa melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Its Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, 1340cc inline four-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched performance. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning color combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki Genuine accessories that you can choose from. The ultimate ride awaits, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more.
This next segment of the show is brought to you by our very own philanthropist adventurer, editor-at-large, Neil Bailey. Coming from the Exposure International Photography Festival in Sharjah, United Arab Emirates, the very best photographers in the world get to showcase their work. Neil chats with Mike Brown, the world-class photographer and educator, who just happens to do his best work from the seat of his motorcycle. Please check out Mike's YouTube channel by searching for Mike Brown, that's Brown, with an E on the end. International photographer extraordinaire. Mike um, is a motorcyclist, so that's why he's on. And uh, he has a very long and extensive career in photography, mostly as an educator, but he is a travel photographer and uh, teacher. And the great part about what he's doing now is he is riding his motorcycle to create photography video training Things. 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 Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So he's a bit of a YouTube star. He has over a quarter of a million followers, if anyone wants to follow him on YouTube. And uh, so he's using his motorcycling, his photography, and his YouTube channel to educate people. This isn't a trade show. This is a celebration of storytelling about this world through photography. We are both very privileged people to be here and to no, be part no. of this family. Um, it is an astonishing thing. And I... Just looking at some of the images here, even in the most heartbreaking circumstances, there is beauty. Mm. Charles Dooley said in his talk the other year, he said, people call me war photographer. He said, I don't photograph war. I photograph love stories in unlikely places. Mm. And that just breaks my heart because he does when you look at his pictures. So, Mike, back when you were a wee lad, how did you get started in motorcycling? I grew up riding horses. Uh, my mum was a British Horse Society riding instructor, rode horses, then when I was probably 13, the first one in our gang hit 16, was old enough to have a 50cc. I hadn't really thought about bikes much, and then, I can't remember his name now, but anyway, he said, do you want to have a go on this? Yeah, okay, what do you do? How do you, how do you work it? And he showed me. I reckon I got about from me to you, and let's face it, we are too close for comfort. <laughs> And I just thought, I have got to get me one of these. I can't, it's just the way it moved, the way it danced around underneath me. It's just the whole feel, it was just like, and sadly I dropped horses and, and I sold my rather massive air gun collection. And bought yourself? A, wow, that's a good question. A 19, oh crumbs, I don't know what it was, 60 something, BSA, uh, D7 Super, seven, Hang on, let me start that again. A 1960-something BSA D7 Super 175 Bantam. Two-stroke. Two-stroke. Right foot Three gear change. Yeah, right foot gear change. Do you know the very first motorcycle I ever rode was in a field when I was about to set 14. It was a BSA 175 Bantam. D7 and it had been Super. sort of made into a what was then known as a motocross bike. Which so it was my... Lights. Did you steal my bike, you swine? <laughs> <laughs> That's where it went. So, but the interesting thing, especially for listeners in the United States, was as kids growing up, our first round into motorcycling, you bypassed it, generally was a 50cc moped. Mm. Because from 16 to 17 years old, you were allowed to ride a moped. So you skipped that step and started when you were 17? No, I, I started with my D7 Bantam just before my 14th birthday. Oh. But I lived on a little farm. 
And so I rode it around the fields, drove all the neighbours mad, riding up and down the gravel tracks. Then it broke down because everyone had said, for God's sake, don't buy that. And of course, you can't tell a 14-year-old anything. <laughs> and the, I now understand the crankcase seals had blown, and that's why it was just it just eventually died. And we could the sparking fuel going in wouldn't go. Crankcase seals are gone. Yeah, I, seem remember, I seem to remember the Bantam that I wrote had some issues. But did you go on and get a moped? Yes, I did. In fact, I had several because. The Bantam died, and then I managed to get some money together, and I bought a Honda SS50. Now, that was the four-stroke, four-speed... 50cc. But it technically still had pedals to make yeah. the moped. So it yeah. was a little mini motorcycle with pedals and a regular gear shift and a kickstart. That's correct. Yeah. And I, of course, ignored the fact that I wasn't old enough for a driving license and just rode it everywhere. And then that was confiscated off me because I obviously got caught. So I then got a Fantic TI6... Wow. Flash. We, I mean, you must have been a bit in the money. What were you doing for money at that I age? begged, stole, borrowed. You must have done. Sold other people's property. Because yeah, <laughs> they weren't. They didn't need it. Exactly. You were just lightening the load. I was just lightening the load. I did odd jobs. I did all sorts. Any money I got. I, but you, you, know, you could pick the these money. things up really pretty cheap. They, they were, don't get me wrong. These were not pristine little bikes. Yeah. They were pretty ropey. But of course, anyway, they all got they all got confiscated because I kept getting caught. Then I got wise, and I bought a one two five cc Honda CB one two five. That's what it was, mm -hmm. single cylinder. And I kept it at my mate's place. Mm -hmm. I'm just jumping on my bicycle and going around Simon's. See you later, Mum. See you later, Dad. Up to Simon's, on with the crash helmet, off out into I don't know where. I got caught with that as well. Um, and when I was 16, I did eventually get a Suzuki AP50, another sort of motorcycle pedal combo. Well, the AP50 was reputedly quicker than an FS1E, which was the, the boy's bike, the Fizzy. Everyone wanted a Fizzy, but... Now, the AP, didn't it have five speeds? I think they were both five speeds. No, the Fizzy was a four speed. Was it? Yeah, the yeah. AP was a five speed. Now, was right. it faster... <clears throat> to be honest, I don't think there was any difference, or not enough to be okay. When you, I think we should just let me just interrupt you. We should just explain here. This is the difference between maybe getting thirty-six miles an hour down the hill with your feet on the rear pedals. Fifty-five, sir. Fifty-five. You could get fifty-five. You could get fifty-five. In those days, they were unrestricted. You could uh, get fifty-five. That's right. They got restricted. Later. But then they got restricted to thirty miles an hour. You could get 55, and of course we would all bullshit one another because we're teenagers and like, oh yeah, I can get 63 out of mine. No, you right. can't. <laughs> <clears throat> In fact, BBC Top Gear, I'm sure it was Top Gear, did a programme about this. They got a fizzy, they put an expansion chamber oh, on it. To see how fast they could go. To see how fast they could make it go. Yeah. And I, I think it made no difference. It might not have been Top Gear, but it's a possibility. So, I mean, it's funny because, you know, also, I guess if you're you know, in America and you've not been to England, you don't realize how small our back roads are. And, you know, 55 miles an hour on an AP50, <laughs> wide open, WFO, mm. flat in the tank. I mean, mm. skinny little tires, drum mm. brakes. I mean, this is death-defying stuff. Oh, we it? fell off a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> and also, if you're not sure about English back roads, check out my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search Mike Brown with an E because... I ride my Triumph Legend and my Triumph Thunderbird down these very same little yes, ones. Yeah. It'll give you a sense. So, um, you, so you had your AP50. Yeah. You, you, this is the sort of rite of pas passage or was when we were growing up. So you turn 17, 
You're now eligible for up to a 250cc yep. bike. What did you get? Well, I got my 125 Honda back. All my bikes, I got them back. My parents stashed them in my nan's garage and I didn't know. And on my 16th birthday, I got the whole bloody lot back. And I was suddenly like, wow, I got like eight motorbikes or something. Um, I'd quite like to backtrack a little bit because my AP50, like rite of passage, as you said, I'm following the school bus home and it's a little bit rainy. And all my mates are in the back seat of the bus. Egging you on. Egging me on. And I'm just, shit, I'm cool. Right, I'm on my AP following the bus. It goes around a very sharp left-hand bend on a little bit of a slope. And I hang back because I'm thinking, right, I'm going to really crank this over. I'm going to scrape the pedals on the tarmac as I really heave it around this corner. And of course, I just went, it just slid out from under me. I'm sprawled face down in the road with all my mates hanging out the back of the bus. Just nice going, oh, one. Thank God they didn't have mobile phones and social media in those days. I think you dodged a bullet, don't you? I did. But sorry, you said what bike did I have? So you got to 17, you're off the moped now because you can be a, a real motorcyclist. So I got my CB125 back mm-hmm. and then I, <laughs> I don't know if this was a good move, I got an AJS 250 14 CSR. I had a thing about old British bikes and I still and have. And do realise that most people listening to this podcast are probably they're under the age of 75, so you need to explain what an AJS 250 is. Okay, AJS, Albert John Stevenson, make of motorcycle. They were very similar to another maker motorcycle called Matchless. In fact, they shared many models together. Old British stuff. Right-hand gear change. Mine was a 250cc. It had the sort of power that you get out of, well, today, probably a 75cc. And as my esteemed friend Nick or Skelly would say, they didn't have enough power to pull your granny off the postman. No, they didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, my God, my granny could cling. Shit. <laughs> so... So you weren't getting into too much trouble on plodding along on an old AGS four-stroke single. Didn't they like fire every lamppost, wasn't that? Yeah, they were quite low revving. You could get about, you could probably get 65, maybe 70 out of it if you wrung its neck. It took a little while to get there. Mm. But, you know, it was like, it's an AJS. It was peg ugly. Yeah. Did you feel cool? Yes, sadly. And I had had two bars. Were you black leather jacket, jeans, Oh, cut off. Oh, yeah, the cutoff as well. <laughs> she didn't go down that path. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. The next thing you're going to tell me, you used to put patchouli oil on your leather no, jacket. No, I never. I didn't drew like the, the line. Smell. I drew. I didn't like the smell. <laughs> but I had T-bars on the AJS oh, as well. It was just, yeah. you know, I, I was well, in my, I was a legend in my own sandwich box. <laughs> That's the problem was we did think we were cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Of course I wasn't. No, we weren't. No. I mean, Little Winthrop did interesting, but never cool. Never cool. So moving along from the AGS, because the, the exciting part for me is, obviously, is you uh, you somehow got from an AGS 250 to a Laverda 1200, very similar to mine, which I love this fact that we were both probably riding around England at a very similar time frame on a Laverda 1200. Mm. And what's interesting is... Not the same one, I hasten no, to add, no. listeners, because I don't want Mr. Bailey cuddling me. But the interesting thing is this, the Arthur who is the owner of Ultimate Motorcycling that is hosting this podcast, at the time that we were riding around on our Laverdas, he was riding around in London on a GT750 with his bride on her Kawasaki 400. Awesome. So all this is kind of, you know, 
old fart type stuff looking back. So how did you get from the AGS to the Libertas 1200? Many, many, many motorcycles. There were a lot. Yeah. We were all swapping our bikes every five minutes. There were a lot of bikes. And looking back now at what those things are worth, I can remember selling a 650 Triumph Bonneville, 1960s model. Uh, I think I sold it for 200 quid. So you stayed in the British realm? I, I, yeah, I always Bonneville. liked them. I never really went down... I did have a few Japanese motorcycles, yeah. and, and some of them were awesome. An XT500 used to ride off. Oh, road. I have one of those. My yeah. first big bike. Yeah. yeah, it was a great old thumper. Um, what year was yours? Oh, I couldn't tell you. It, was, it would have been a early 80s, I guess. Yeah, mine was, I think, a 70s. Might have been a late 70s. Very, very similar thing. Mine was an R Reg. Can't remember. Yeah. Can't remember. Well, you're older than me. <laughs> Um, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I don't look it though. I don't even a few minutes. Right? Yeah, it's just I'm hot and cool. But anyway, so, so you did the AJS. AJS. Triumph many many bikes. I had Bonnevilles. I had Triumph Thunderbirds. I oh, had, yeah, Bonnevilles. Yeah, yeah. No, I had all sorts of things. I had um, I had a, a BSA A10 short crank version. Yep. Uh, Six fifty, and that was a chop. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of British bikes. Are you a fairly competent mechanic? Yeah. Yeah, you must be. I, I always no loved one, engines. I, they just no one could own me. that many no. pieces of crap. And yeah, exactly. Sorry, aficionados. But, but it's completely true. I mean, at the age of 17, by a convoluted story, I managed to have a 750 Triumph Bonneville as well after right. the AJS. Lovely bike to ride. But if you got 12,000 miles out of it without having to completely rebuild it, and every other weekend you had to span us something mm. all the time. Um, I might want to say span it as a wrench in American for... Oh, yes. You've got to wrench your bike up. Wrenching, right. You've got to wrench your Spanner bike up. So anyway, yeah, Bonneville, blah, 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 blah. A friend of mine was really into Libertas. And um, he had a Jota. Well, sorry, he had a Mirage prior to that, the 1200 Laverta Mirage. Uh, it got stolen, he then got a Jota. And I just liked the look of his Mirage. I just, I preferred the look of the Mirage to the Jota, to be mm. honest. This is the 120 crank, three cylinder, really no, off if it was, if it, if it was a Mirage, mode. it would be a 180 crank. You are right, I got that wrong. It was yep. a 180 crank because before the, they bought the 120 as they got as they moved past the original Jotas and original Mirages and went onto the RGSs and the RGAs, they went to a 120. Those purred. Some of the later Jotas, the very last Jotas were 120 crank as well. Yeah. And you can see the difference. Yeah. They've got the little knob sticking off the side of the primary case if you see one out. You sit on the primary case, do you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Moving um, right along. Moving right along. Um, Here's another joke you guys won't get. A knob in England. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sign of affection. It's a sign of affection. It is really. Anyway, moving on from Neil Bailey's wedding tackle. Um, so you bought yourself a Mirage? So I, I was after a Mirage, uh, but this 1200 came up, which is it's, it's much the same. It looks the same as a, as a Mirage, really, but it didn't have the drop handlebars. And it didn't have the Jota cams, so it's a slightly softer state of tune. It still was a Mirage. That's how the original Mirage came. It was the Slater Brothers Mirage that had all the Jotaized stuff. The, the I thought the Mirage though had a, I thought it had a lumpier cam than the twelve hundred. It was a little bit higher state the of tune. The Slater Brothers Mirage was a stock Mirage that was Jotaized. So the stock. Mirage 1200 had upright bars, forward foot pegs, 
eight to one compression, low cams, not big jets and quite restrictive pipes. And Slater Brothers, who were the originators of the Jota, built a Slater Brothers Mirage. And that was the one that had the big cams, the, rear, the Jota bars, the rear sets, the free breathing pipes. Mm. So if okay. you had one of those, you had a Slater Brothers Mirage. No, mine wasn't a Slater Yours Brothers. Was a stock. But it didn't have Mirage written on it anywhere. It was just 1200. Um, but you are much more of an anorak than me, and you are far more knowledgeable about that stuff Absolutely, than me. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to argue with that one. We should call Nolan Woodbury. He would know. You don't know him, but no. he, he knows bikes. Yeah. So you did get one. So I got one. Uh, again, you know, over-enthusiasm when you're young. I'm riding it home, I realised the front wheel was a little bit buckled, and I had to get it straight. And Do you remember what like year you bought your bike? Could you put a... Again, it must have been fairly... It must have been around... Early 80s. Early, it's got to have been early 80s. 83. Possibly. Okay, because I was 82 when I got my... Uh, Maybe I a was, bit earlier. I got 82. mine in 82. It was a blue one. It'd be super interesting to know if we both bought a 1200 Laverda in the same year. Yeah, it was it's probably... Small. And I know where it is to this day, because you, you talked do. to me about this mm. before. But, yeah, sadly, so I, I did like it. And, I mean, with hindsight, I look back at it, and, yeah, with nostalgia. But by comparison to today's bikes, they were they were kind of lumpy, weren't they? Yeah. They weren't but the easiest you, motorcycle to ride. You had to work at it. Oh, yeah, and work to keep them running as well. I mean, well yeah. A I, little bit. I, I, well, yeah, they were, the carbs used to go out of tune a bit, those big Dell Autos, mm. but... Yeah, it was great, and sadly, um, I was on my way to Cornwall one day. Had a bit of a mishap. I had quite a large mishap. <laughs> it was very early, Sunday morning, summertime, no one around. I was just riding along, probably, I was within the speed limit, I was in about 70, and it was a big main road. Lay-by on the left, picnic area. Car shot out of the lay-by in front of me, going in, the, going in, well, he was going in the same direction as me. And I thought, but he was really did pull out in front of me. And I mm. thought, I can either slam the brakes on and I might go in the back of him. Or there's nothing coming, I'll just give it the beans and go round it. You know? So I downcogged it, gave it the beans. And so under full acceleration, just as I got alongside his rear wheel, he pulled a handbrake turn. Oh. He Literally, he just hit the handbrake, did a handbrake turn, and I just T-boned him just in front of the doorpost. Thank God it was just in front of the doorpost. Wow. Um, I was unconscious on impact, and that is what saved me. I am the luckiest guy in the world because, you know, I flew end over end, but I was already unconscious. The jolt knocked me unconscious, so mm. I was loose when I hit the road. Didn't even cut myself. A um, couple of minor fractures. Thank God the Laverda, which cartwheeled through the air behind me, didn't, didn't land hit on you, me. Yeah. Um, I came to in hospital a couple of hours later. Mm. I was concussed, a couple of minor fractures. I was very lucky. Mm. So. You know where that bike is now. Has it been rebuilt since the crash? I rebuilt it. Uh, there was a firm in London, Mura Engineering. Oh, I remember them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Dave at Mura Engineering, they used to, he used to supply all sorts of stuff and mm. somebody had just built a special using one of his frames and he just happened to say to me, you know, I told him what had happened, he said, I know where there's a frame. And I got this frame dirt cheap from this guy who just ditched his just chain ditched for a Harris frame or yeah, something. Yeah, um, Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have bothered. So I rebuilt it. And I did it all looking just like a proper Laverda, but I did it in black and gold. Mm -hmm. So I had a gold frame, black paintwork. I had the original Laverda 
murals and decals copied in gold. Mm. So it was absolutely gorgeous. Well, they did make a black and gold one. I have been told since they did. I wasn't aware of this at the time. Because there's one in the Barber Museum. Right. And it's got hand scroll 1200 written on it and it's a little bit different it doesn't yeah, yeah. it wasn't original logos, yeah. but yeah so they copied you they did i i i've always have been a bit of a trendsetter <laughs> um <laughs> mike brown trendsetter, trendsetter. so it was it was a it was a great bite and anyway i did it up rode it around for a while and i don't remember why or how but i sold it to a friend of mine called steve reggie wright steve reggie wright, steve reggie wright who is currently in the united kingdom even though he now lives in thailand and the bike is still around. And it is still here. Oh, it's it's currently in pieces. Yeah, we'll go and rescue it one day. I, all I know is that the engine is in, I think it's a friend of his bedroom, and I reckon the running gear's in his garage. So, so, it's around. so let's just jump forward a little bit. So, you, but obviously, between the Laverde and today, you've had a ton of motorcycles, right? I've had quite a few. Quite and a currently, your bike you're riding right now has got, what, 100,000 plus? 127,000 miles, I think, I've got on you're my... riding. So, but to get to the bike that you're riding today and why you have 120,000 miles there. So, the Levertus crashed, you rebuild it, but you now, and you're, you're a heavy construction operator, but you've got this travel wanderlust in you in this photography thing, and you, so you, you quit your job. There were many other things that happened, yes. I used to drive big plant machinery, bulldozers, mm -hmm. trucks, diggers. <clears throat> excavators, backhoes, as you guys call them. Um, did that for quite a while. I'm a boy, I like big gribbly machines, but it wasn't mm. filling my soul up. Right. And photography was a hobby, but I still hadn't connected this. But anyway, to cut a very long story short, I thought, I've always wanted to see more of the world. Mm. And one day I quit my job. I just literally quit. I sold everything I owned that wouldn't fit in a backpack, and I bought a one-way ticket to Australia. Mm. Adventures, stuff. Um, but you know, it's funny, I remember speaking to you before, it was one of those stories where you were looking at the guy on the backhoe with his lunchbox and his flask, a 65-year-old guy, and you were seeing your life. I was, I was at tea break. The, the four, they were good guys, they, they were a nice bunch of guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we used to have such a crack, such a laugh, and I kind of missed that, to be honest. Mm. But. One tea break, the foreman and I were sitting there having a cup of tea, a sandwich, and um, I was telling him, you know, I always want to travel, I don't want to do this forever. And he said to me, see the old fellow sitting in his machine over there? He said that to me 25 years ago. He's still sitting in his machine today, mm. and so will you be in 25 years. But you didn't, and you took yourself off around the world. I got back in my Komatsu dozer, and I dozed for about 10 minutes, thought, I can't do this. And I went in and I said to the, the site agent, who was a lovely guy, I'm really sorry, I'm about to drop you in the shit. I quit now. But, 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 we haven't got anyone. I said, I oh, know, I'm so sorry, you've been a brilliant boss, stop my pay, I'm leaving. Mm. Um, and, and you ended up in Africa. Yeah, I ended up in Africa. Uh, many adventures, hitchhiked from Nairobi to Joburg, got held up by drunken policemen at gunpoint, all sorts of things. Just the good stuff that you get when you go travelling. All the right? good stuff you get when you go travelling. And this yeah. is where the exploring the world thing really kicked in. Yeah. Um, but a life-changing conversation I had down near Cape Town with an English guy who'd lived there for a long time, done well for himself in life. One night he said to me, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? 
I said, I don't know. And he said, well, you're not getting out of that chair until you tell me something. You're a guest in my house and have been for weeks and I'm not going to let you out of your chair until you have a plan. Mm. It was a long and squirmy conversation, but eventually he dragged it out of me that maybe I'd like to do photography because it was my hobby and I was crap at it. Is that right? Yeah, I was you never good at it. You were a natural no. photographer? No, I, I loved taking pictures, but and I yeah. loved it when I got a good one, but I had no idea what I was doing or how I got a good one. Mm. Um, and he just looked at me. He was eating jelly and ice cream, and he had the spoon poised almost in his <laughs> mouth with a wobbly <laughs> bit of jelly. That's uh, not what you... That's What do you call that I in America? Call it jello. Jello, right. Yeah, jello and ice cream. And uh, he just said, well, go and do it then, you idiot. I said, I can't do that. I'm an out-of-work excavator driver. He said, exactly. Everyone thinks they're a shopkeeper or a postman or an excavator driver, so they don't try and fulfil their dreams, goals and ambitions. So if you try, you've got a head start over everyone else, haven't you? And it was like a slap around the face with a wet, with a wet fish. So he's right. And I genuinely went in my room, planned out other things I wanted to do in Africa, and I was there for another three months, went back to the UK, because I hadn't intended to, found somewhere cheap to live, because I thought, I know the rules in the UK. I went to night school. I got myself a job working for a photographer free. I didn't, charge, I didn't get paid for a year just to be in the environment and learn how it worked. Mm. And the ultimate goal was to go off and travel and do photography, see if I could do a bit of motorbike riding along the way, you know. Um, so while you were learning in photography, did you pick up another motorcycle for transportation at that point, or did you just focus I on had, when I came back to write, so I had... Um, I had a Harley and I stashed it. Well, that was quite unusual in England for anyone to have a Harley. Oh, there Didn't was see a, a few about. Yeah. There was a few about. And it was, um, I bought it on a whim. We have a magazine, a newspaper, big thing in the UK called Motorcycle News. And I was looking at Motorcycle News one day and I've, I've been sort of looking at Harleys and thinking they're so expensive. I don't know. And this was one of the very first Evo-engined Harleys. Um, and it was for sale for a ridiculously low price. And I thought, oh, I might buy it. You know, I could probably make it, make a thousand pounds on that as well. And so I bought it. The plan was to chug around for the summer. I actually thought, you know what, I really like this. Now, forgive me, all you hog riders in the States, but Something which really annoys me with Harleys, you, there's a great core motorcycle underneath it. I do quite like Harleys. I like that heartbeat rhythm of the engine. They, I love the low down torque and all that stuff. What really pisses me off is the fact that it had what looked like braided steel hoses on the brakes. They weren't. They were rubber with a plastic cover. Same on the oil cooler. There were rubber pipes with disguised to look like, come on Harley, come on. For about an extra five pounds, the cost you will buy braided steel hose for because of the quantities, you could put real braided steel on it. And rubbish tyres, rubbish suspension. I changed the springs, changed the suspension, changed the tyres, sorted out the brakes, and I loved it. And I used to have such fun with sports bikes because they got all this torque. And I just discovered that if you ignored first gear, just use second, held it on the red line, fed it clutch, I could just hurtle away from the lights, okay, I couldn't maintain it. And of course the sports bike guys were past me by the time I'd hit 50, but the number of people I shocked doing that. 
It was great. I, I did I did enjoy it, and I that had four thousand miles on it when I bought it, and it had forty five thousand miles on it when I sold it. Because you've always been a pretty high mileage motorcycle. I love yeah. it. And it's yeah. where I go to meditate. It's where I go to relax. Mm. It's great. I like get on a motorbike, and you're worrying about yesterday or tomorrow. You've got something on your mind, and I find get on a bike, find a safe place to do it, and just give it the beads. I love it. Just mm. sort of scratching it around the corners, you know, get your foot down, really like, because you've got to be in the moment. You've got to be in the here and the now. Mm. And it forces you to be in the here and the now. And then I find once I'm in the here and the now, I will quite happily just slow it down and just tickle down little windy roads and back roads and scenery and find the roads. In the UK, we're really lucky. I don't know how it is in the States because I haven't traveled in the States. But in the UK, because it, there is such an ancient infrastructure. There are so many roads that have been updated and a new road put in, and then that one falls into, and then a new one goes in. So we've got all these roads which aren't even really listed on sat-nav now. You know, they are there, but no one uses them, and some of them are just beautiful and fabulous, and they're, you know, hundreds of years old. And I just love them because they take you places you don't get to see. The sat-nav takes you the direct way. Mm -hmm. But the back roads navigate by instinct just think right I want the sun behind me for about an hour and then I'm going roughly in the right direction sooner or later I see a signpost to somewhere I kind of need to go and let's face it you can't get lost anymore we've all got a phone yeah. something called Google you can just pop out and say oh James <laughs> yeah, exactly so um, this is interesting so I mean we've gone from AGS's to AT500's to BSA twins to Triumph twins we've had a Laverda triple we've had a Harley what came after the Harley how do you follow that? That's a tough act oh, to follow. Oh, right. Now, apologies to all Ducati owners. <laughs> the pre-qualifier. I sold the Harley. I had the Harley, kept the Harley for a while, but at this point I was thinking, I really need to, I want to, I want to do photography. I want to be a professional photographer. Mm. I need some equipment. The only thing I have of any value is this Harley Davidson. So you sold that. So I sold it and bought some cameras. And that is the only time since the age of about 14, barring confiscations, I have ever not owned a motorcycle. Wow. Um, and it was only about seven or eight months. And then someone, I was grizzling. Oh, like a jail sentence. It was, it was, it was. <laughs> because there was no space to clear the brain, to right, meditate, right, right. to think, to just enjoy. On a matter about you're part of the world. Mm. You're not watching it go past the window. You can feel those little changes in temperature. You can feel moisture in the air. You can smell the side of the road, the hedgerows. You can smell the guy in front's got the handbrake on because you, you can smell the brakes burning. It's, you're part of that environment, both pleasurable and not so pleasurable in the case of the brakes. Um, I've gone off on a tangent. Nice. It's, I love going down. These, I'm on the motorbike tangent. Is a tangent a type of motorcycle? <laughs> I believe it is. I believe so about anyway, 1938, see, right? Tangent right. motorcycle. 1938, 10. So... You've got this horrible seven or eight months of that motorcycle, but then a Ducati comes and does Yes, a Ducati right? came into my life. Good job. Someone's paying attention here, right? Yeah, it's a good job you're here. See, I was here. Oh, I never thought I'd hear myself say that. <laughs> <laughs> I find a purpose for you, big nose. Uh, yeah, big nose. Anyway, um, Ducati. Someone I knew had got this Ducati in their garage, and they were going to build a custom out of it. Now, have you heard of a Ducati Indiana? I have. It was like a, a, a cruiser with a Panther 650 motor in it. Mm. So it was, was it a 650? Engine. I think mine was a 750. 
I'm not oh, sure. It might have been, might have been, yes, 750. Okay. Yeah, because the pattern made the 500, maybe it was, yeah, it was a newer 750 book. It could have been. I'm, so it was a pretty hideous pile of poo, really. Oh, God, it? yes. God, it was ugly. It looked like something a blacksmith had made with a hangover. <laughs> you know, it's like coming into the forge and going, oh, I've got to do something. Oh, my head hurts. Oh, bollocks, that'll do. Yeah. <clears throat> it was terrible. I mean, the frame tubing was square. Oh, oh. It was just such a lash up. Um, Beautiful motor. Yes. Oh, the power delivery was superb. And despite how ugly it was, it rode well. It handled well. It sounded gorgeous. And people just used to sort of like, sometimes I'd watch people, they'd park up on their bikes. They'd be just going to put the kickstand down. And they'd see me on this thing and just sort of fall over because they were laughing so much. <laughs> it was a bike. Yeah. You're back on the road. I'm That's... back on the road. It was a bike. Um... And it had a weird design. It had a very sloppy chain. So it's kind of like when the swing arm was up, the chain was really tight. Mm. And when it was down, it was really it was loose. Really loose. Yeah. So it had this sprung-loaded tensioner, which broke. <clears throat> and um, I ended up tightening the chain to stop the chain falling off while I was waiting for another one. Of course, then it was too tight. And then it, it wrecked the final drive bearing. Pulled too tight. It pulled on too it. tight. Yeah, and it it bugged up the main drive bearing behind this front sprocket. So I pulled all the engine apart to fix that. Um, and then, oh, I don't know, something happened with the electronics. And I just thought, I'm fed up with this. Mm. And I had a little bit of money tucked away mm. that I'd saved over the previous few years. And a friend of mine who's really into guzzies had gone down to the local... That would be Motor Guzzi for those... That Motor Goodsy for those who don't speak English. Right. Um, he went down to the dealership. He wanted to have a go on a new Motor Guzzy. Can't remember which one it was. I just said, "Yeah, I'll come with you. I'll find something. I'll have a go on something." And looking around, I kind of fancied a Triumph Thunderbird Triple. Mm. And I said to the guy, "You got a Thunderbird? I can have." It. He said, "No." So we've got a Triumph Legend, which is virtually the same bike slightly different subframe on those earlier ones and instead of having a big high profile rear tire it had a lower profile rear tire but it's the same three cylinder carbureted engine same three cylinder carbureted engine mm. um, identical power same yeah. forks almost the same bike just slightly different rear wheel and is um, that the one that you still have? yeah oh. well I, but that's not the one I bought but I test rode one that day Mm. And it was a bit like the day I got on my friend John's Gorelli Tiger Cross. That's what that first 50cc was. And I'd gone from me to you. Yeah, yeah. I'd gone from like me to you distance and thought, I'm getting one of these. And it was the same thing. I literally got the, the legend into second gear. And you know some things in your life are just right. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I get it. Mm. But to me, I thought, I like this. By the time I was in second, by the time I'd ridden it, sort of 30, 40 miles. It just works ride, for you. It just worked for me. Yeah. It suited me. And I thought, I'm getting one of these one day. And one day, it was the flashiest purchase of my life when I did. Because I was fed up new. with something with the Ducati. And I thought, if I buy one of those, I'm going to keep it forever. Mm. And I was looking around. I don't know if you have this in the States. But in the UK, they have what's called a pre-registered motorcycle. This will be someone, say, pays a deposit. They're going to buy the bike new. The dealership will get it registered and put the plate on it and the rest of it, and then the deal goes through. It, it doesn't happen. Something goes wrong. Right, or so the, bike, the, dealership the bike is, is new. It's just been... It's new. It's only had maybe 10 miles put on it. Yes, it's a pre-delivery yeah. inspection. Right. It's registered. 
but it can't be sold as a brand new. So you get a little bit of a better deal. So you deal. get a little bit of a discount. Yeah. And I found one up in Oxford at a really good price. And I was also looking for the loud Triumph track pipes to go on it as well, because I like the noise. Um, also, I think it's better to let motorists know that you're there, particularly if you filter through the traffic, like what I do. Hmm. Um, Which is illegal have... everywhere in California. Is it? Yeah. I think they're proposing to do it in Arizona and another state, but yeah, you don't want to do that in the States. Though. Right. It's useful bit, to know. Upset when I come that. to the States one day and go. Do not filter through the traffic in this in California. Mm. So that legend, when you got it, that, is that the one you still have? Yeah. So 1999. Right, so, but the, the thing is, during this time period, you're going on to become a world-renowned photographer, you're an educator, you're traveling around the world doing photography workshops, and you're building a very successful YouTube channel with more than a quarter of a million viewers. And then what was the decision with all of the things you've done in world travel, education, photography, most likely you have in the last months combined all of the things you've done in your life so that now, your YouTube tutorials are led from your motorcycle mm. on the old legend that's now got over 100,000 miles. Mm. And occasionally, I, yeah, I occasionally use one of the others because I've also got, uh, still got a 1950 BSA B31 350cc single. Never been cosmetically restored. I have rebuilt the mechanicals and all that and stuff. And you just like going for a... I just love it. It's yeah. great. You can't hurry that bike. It will not hurry. Right, you just it's, potter along. You just potter along. And I'm funny enough, I'm going to be releasing a YouTube video with that in it very, very soon. Right. So the concept is now... The concept now... So most of my income was made... I've got some online photography courses, which yeah. with the, they've had some awesome reviews on Google, and I'm really proud of that, and I'm touched by the lovely things people have said. Yeah. Um, but actually the main income for the business was always in taking people off to countries like Vietnam and Cambodia and Iceland and other interesting places and showing them things they wouldn't normally get to see on the tourist trip and teaching them how to do better photography at the same time. Mm. We also used to try and incorporate some sort of social responsibility into these things. So. If you're in Cambodia, you want to see Angkor Wat, the incredible World Heritage Site. Mm. But we'd also got a thing with some monks who run a pagoda monastery school where they educate the poor kids. And they've now got farmland. And we'd always go there and donate some rice and explain what they're doing. And, and the venerable monk Hun gave us carte blanche to go around and photograph the daily lives of the monks in this place. And this is not a touristy place. And... You know, it all kind of Beautiful works. experience for your students. Beautiful experience yeah. for the students. They get to learn photography. They see things they wouldn't normally see. They get photographs that no one else has got. And it's putting a bit of good back into the world at the same time. Because many of these people are fairly high net worth individuals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they actually experience and see some of the good work that's going on. Like, it was another thing we did. We showed them how they use um, giant African rats to find landmines in the forests, in the jungles in mm -hmm. Cambodia. And how... These rats find the landmines, and then the the handler will go in and on his belly, and he's the hero, and defuse and get it out of the ground because there's all these kids running around with no legs and stuff. That was an oxymoron, wasn't it? Well, running around with no legs, but there's all these poor limbs. children yeah, with yeah. missing limbs where their parents say, "Don't go into the jungle. You mustn't go." And the kids, yeah. they go in the jungle and they get blown up. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. 
Um, so there's a lot. So you know, we would kind of yeah. contribute, and many of these people who come on the work, I know for a fact, several of them have just reached into their pocket besides any little donations and, we've managed and really to, helped out, and have yeah. really helped out, yeah. and it just kind of is a beautiful win-win thing. So that so was it is a that was world. big income source. Big income. Then we had a pandemic, right, which slit its throat because nobody could travel, even you know people afraid to book anything in advance. Oh, it yeah. just died in the last couple of years. It just so was that where you kind of came up with the idea Income of this, this new motorcycle? I had a choice. Um, so I've got a truck license. I can drive heavy goods vehicles. Mm. And I even got a letter from the Department of Transport saying, Dear Mr. Brown, because England is short of truck drivers, um, you know, have you considered coming back and driving a truck? You know, there are incentives to blah, blah, blah. You can earn quite good money doing it in the UK now. And I considered it. Because, you know, like I'm slaving away, I've been living off savings, and they've pretty much nearly all gone now. Mm. Um, I did consider it. But if I do take that path, then all the goals and dreams and ambitions I talked about with Ken on the stoop outside his house while he ate jello and ice cream, they die with it. And mm. so I thought, what else can we do? And there is another YouTuber called Norley, she's a Dutch girl, her channel is called Itchy Boots, Right. and she does a travel vlog on YouTube. These videos of her journeys... like Itchy Ass, are you? No, but somebody has already commented <laughs> on mine and gone, Itchy Brown, right, <laughs> so obviously. But I watched some of her stuff, and she was travelling in Namibia in Africa, somewhere I had travelled quite a lot in very similar places. Mm. And I just had this idea and thought, why don't I, if I can't afford accommodation, here in the UK because it's expensive because it's reached that point um, why don't I go and live on the road because when I spent all those months living in Africa and travelling it cost an awful lot less than staying at home mm. So you why don't I do that and vlog the journeys right. so I started kind of practising in the UK thinking maybe in the spring I just thought are people going to go oh this is just a load of old crap mm. you know Let's see what happens. Do they really like it. Though. People have said the most wonderful, lovely, kind things, and, and they say they really love it. And so I'm still, at, right at this point in time, finding my way. What is the balance between motorcycling and photography? I mm. think riding a motorcycle, this is just me, I think riding a motorcycle is one of the best ways to explore this beautiful world we live in, and I truly believe it is beautiful. So this is such an inspiration belief, for you to be on the motorcycle. Exactly. Recording this world. We all go out on our bikes and we think, oh, doesn't that look cool? And you want to get a snap, you want to get a story, you want a picture to back up your stories, to show the folks at home. You don't really want them going like, hey, look where I rode this morning and they're trying to find an excuse. Oh, look, the cat's been sick. I don't really want to look at it. I'm sorry, I can't look at pictures. The cat's been sick. What we want is someone to go, show us where you went this morning. Show us your ride this morning. Mm. And so this is kind of the intention. I'm thinking, how can I show people how to get some really great pictures of whatever they've got? Because, you know, the hardcore landscaper goes out at sunrise every day to find the perfect... Motorbikers, we're not doing that. We're, we're, we're riding our bikes. We want to get the best we can. So you're incorporating all um, of your travels, all of your photography, all of your education and your motorcycling into these new YouTube videos. Yeah. So that me or us, the viewers, can log on go on a motorcycle journey with you and while you're travelling yeah. you're teaching us photography yeah and, and hopefully this I can fantastic. show you some cool places show you some little corners of, of mm. England that you know a lot of, I've had a lot of messages from people in the States and other countries around the world going, want to come over wow doesn't that look good? wow I never knew England looked like that because you know everyone thinks it looks like London um, so yeah this it's is it's kind of like 
yes, it's combining all these things. It's it's they do all sorts of things. It's it's combining education, learning how to take better pictures, and I intend to be doing some with phones and just using GoPros as well. Keep it low tech. Um, it combines education. All those videos are, of course, little ads to buy my online courses because, hey, that's how I make a living at the moment. Someone's got to buy that. Someone's got to buy the stuff to pay mm. for the free stuff. Right. Um, you know, and it's about celebrating, exploring the world. Yes, I choose to do it on a motorcycle because I love it. You ride bicycles. You get a buzz on two wheels with pedal power as well as motorcycles. Mm. Some people like to get the car out. I don't care how you explore the world. I think it's best on a bike. But I want to show people just how to tell their stories and give pictures to their yeah, stories. Yeah, I think this so is... We should wrap up here in a little minute, uh, Mike, as we're getting towards the end of the cast too. But I mean, I do think this is... It's a very unique journey that you've had through motorcycling photography, the country point where you've put it all together. And while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, if anyone's listening still, still awake, I mean, let's face it, with Neil talking. Right. I did title this one, A Cure for Insomnia. Um, <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be cool if anyone's interested, I should invite you down to Peru on one of my trips, and we should go right around Peru and shoot some photographs and take some people with us that might want to see Peru, have an adventure. That'd be awesome. And That'd have be a awesome. world-class photography teacher along for the ride. I'd love to do that. That would be awesome because also, I don't know if you know, listeners, but Neil is involved with a really great project in Peru. Yeah, we've talked about this on a couple of my cast, you know, my, my foundation and the kids. So, yeah, yeah, obviously, when I'm in Peru, my function is to take people to the office. So, how about we go for a really, really cool ride down through Peru, over the Andes, see some really cool stuff. I can help everyone get some really cool pictures to see if we can do End a bit of good. Orphanage, give the kids End some up money. End of the orphanage, give the kids some money, see if we can raise something along the way. Yeah. YouTube videos, cool time for everyone, feel good at the end of it because we put a bit be of good on back Mike in the Brown's, world. Be a star on Mike Brown's video, YouTube video channel. Uh, there'd be a star on yours too, mate. This would be good, right? Yeah. Because I've got seven views. I have seven followers. What do you have, like 260,000? I think so. So I'm close. <laughs> uh, if you subscribe today, I'll get up to eight, then it's nine. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, we must get rolling because uh, we're, we're running out of time. Mike Brown, fabulous to have you on the cast today. Um, a super cool Englishman, just a life on motorcycles. The love and passion you have for them is brilliant. It hasn't changed since you were 14 and you were buying bikes illegally when your parents weren't looking, and I think that's just brilliant. Can, can I throw in very quickly? I do have a car as well because it's useful, right? Yes. I've had the same car now for almost 20 years, and I've still not put 100,000 miles on it. <laughs> that's just brilliant. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure having you, and uh, yeah, like I say, if anyone's interested, maybe we'll get Arthur to drag himself down there, but we should, we'll just do a trip and Yeah, we'll, yeah, let's do it. And we'll do definitely, it. guys, if you get a chance, Check out Mike Brown Photography on YouTube. Just search Mike Brown on YouTube. B-R-O-W-N-E. There's a silent E on the end of my name. Imagine yeah. it's like Brownie, but without the I-E. It's B-R-O-W-N-E. Brown with an E, yeah. Mike Brown. But they're fabulous videos. I've been watching them, really enjoy it. And I get to go see parts of England, learn about photography, and get to hang out with you on video. So thank, thank you, Mike. Thank you, mate.